Hey everybody, you will quickly recognize that I'm doing something different on this episode. On this episode of Unbeatable, I sit down with a former guest, Brent Crow, and we have an honest grown-up conversation in the room with about 1,100 student leaders from all across America. They sent in questions about life and leadership, and Brent Crow and I are going to answer those questions live during this episode of Unbeatable. Thanks for tuning in today. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. This episode is brought to you by the Solomon Foundation. Hey, these folks are committed to making the local church grow. And if you partner with them, they're going to give you a excellent return while you make an eternal impact. So if you want to know more, just check them out at the Solomon Foundation. Org. Now back to this unusual live episode with my friend Brent Crow and the Student Leadership University. I want us to dive into a very important conversation. If we had to give our conversation a title today, it would simply be this. It's just a simple conversation about life and leadership yeah. in 2023, and it's based on as you and I are having this conversation, we're sitting in a room with about 11 to 1,200 students from across our country who have submitted lots and lots and lots of questions. So I'm going to, somebody has cherry-picked, and I'm <laughs> going to cherry-pick the cherry-picked ones and, and just kind of get the conversation started. Sounds so, good. Here we go. Let's dive right in. First question, and this is a doozy, I think, and, and I'd love to know your thoughts. I'll speak into this as well, but how, how should we continue to learn and take in knowledge, even with living in a world that seems to be hyper-cluttered with distractions? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the world that we live in now, the rate of change, and the vast amount of information that's available, and now with AI making the rate of change uh, hyperspeed, I think you have to be highly selective about where you spend your time and what you spend your time reading and looking at. Because if not, you're going to get pulled in about 500 different directions, and 490 of them are good, but just not good enough. So now you have to start to become discerning before you even start discerning. Like, what am I watching? What am I reading? And why am I watching it? Why am I reading it? Because there's other stuff out there and maybe even better stuff out there that I could be looking at. I try to do, um, I try to keep books in two categories. I want to read the brilliant minds from 500 and 1700 years ago, but I also want to read from those brilliant minds from 50 or from 17 years ago. And I try to do both, and I'm very careful about um, what I read, which eliminates 90% of what I don't have the time to read. Yeah. Uh, students, if you, I hope you found one of those briefing pages uh, in, your, in your syllabi, so forgive me for not mentioning that earlier. But there should be one of those somewhere around page 53. I felt Thank that you. word of knowledge, page 53. Um, and, uh, but l I want you to write a phrase down for me. Distraction destroys destiny. Ooh, that's good. Somebody should tweet that out right now and give Brent full credit for it. <laughs> Distraction destroys destiny. 
What you say no to is just as important as what you say yeah. yes to. And so uh, there's a gentleman that both Jeff and I respect by the name of Bob Goff, a pr very profound uh, thinker and lawyer, author, communicator. Uh, and Bob, as his life got busier and busier, decided to have a day once a week where he says no to some things, where he literally resigns from a board or quits a habit that he started that he shouldn't have. And so I think you gotta have a healthy rhythm. Jeff mentioned you gotta have a healthy rhythm of what you're reading. And that he, he's got this rhythm between some older uh, thinkers and some newer thinkers and rotating back and forth. But then you gotta have a healthy rhythm of also what you're saying yeah. no to. Because if you don't learn to say no to the wrong things or not the things that are not the best for your life, then you will end up inevitably, you will end up robbing yourself of a future destiny. Next question has to do with calling. Okay. And there's always a question that revolves All right. around calling. Um, how can I know where God wants me to be? How should I be prepared for a call? Uh, is that something that I should do at all times? Should I be waiting for that? Uh, and, and there's a little added on the end of this question. I don't like waiting. And so... And so. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're being honest. Um, I'm going to let you take this one first and then I'll jump in. Okay. Well, I want you to write down four words for me, students. Calling is something that is oftentimes misunderstood uh, because it is thought of something to be singular and it's actually plural. And so you aren't called to one fill in the blank, right? And, and this idea, and I'm grateful uh, Jeff mentioned 15 to 1700 years ago, this idea comes from the reformers. So maybe not 1,500 years ago, 500. but 500 years ago. Uh, but primarily in the writings of Luther, somewhat Zwingli, somewhat Calvin. But there are four callings in every life. Here you go. Here are the four words. Number one is church, and that has to do with both your local church and the church universal. You are called to be part of the movement of Christianity, so church. Number two is family. The second word is family. Number three is citizenship or culture. In a way to apply that in a lot of different scenarios throughout the world, not everybody would be considered a citizen. Some people belong to a tribe or a village, so citizenship or culture. And then number four is vocation, is vocation. And so the question I'm at, I would do I, is I would take every one of those categories and I would turn them into the form of a question. What, 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 what kind of, what kind of a, a follower of Jesus do I want to be? What kind of a family member do I want to be? What kind of a family do one day I want to build? What kind, right, what kind of a citizen should I be? What kind of a vocation would I like to pursue? And if that question specifically has to do with vocation, um, then I'd love to know your thoughts, Dr. Stroop. Yeah, um, I agree completely. We, we like to take the word uh, calling or vocation and we, we equate it to just job. And I think the reformers are right. It is far more than that. I can make this very, very simple for every single Christian in this room. You're called to do one thing, follow Jesus. Mm. That's it. Just go do that thing and everything else will take care of itself. But I know most of you are saying, I need more than that, Jeff, because I hear 500 times a day, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I don't know the answer. I feel like I should have an answer to that. And I'm telling you, all you do is get up tomorrow and follow Jesus and then get up the next day and follow Jesus and get up the day after that and follow Jesus. And I think along the way, and in my case, I think many people's case, you start to realize, hey, I think Jesus wants me to do this thing 
because I've been doing it for a while. I love it. I'm good at it. I think I'm, I'm uh, pretty effective in, for the kingdom in this way. Maybe I should do this thing. And I am convinced every single person on the planet is called, mm. called to follow Jesus first. And then all of us are probably called to a thing right now, but that thing may not be forever. It's okay if it's not forever. So get up tomorrow and follow Jesus. Get up the next day and follow Jesus. And pretty soon you'll probably realize, I think I'm doing the thing that I'm called to do. And I didn't even know I was doing it. Yeah. Let me give you, can I give you three very quick questions to write down that, that, that you can build a whole life off of? Uh, or maybe don't write them as questions. Let's shorten them. Discover your gifts. What are you good at? Discover your gifts. That's number one. Number two, uh, glorify God with your gifts. Whenever you see the word glorify in Scripture, God is always made obvious. Now, step one and step two, you could hear in any Sunday school classroom across the country, and no one would bat an eye. Okay, that makes sense. What are you good at? How do you make God obvious with it? Step three, and this is why you can, how you can build a life off of it. If you agree with this, could I just get a little amen? Step three, figure out how to get paid for it. <laughs> yes, agreed. What if you spent your whole life utilizing the skills and the gifts that God had given you in a way that it was sustainable for you and your family? That'd be a pretty cool yeah, life. that would be awesome. And by the way, it does shift. I mean, you were 22 years yeah. Army Ranger and then shifted to a couple of different roles. And so that does shift over time. I came back from Somalia and I never saw this one coming. And I went to my wife and I said, I think God may be calling me to the ministry. And she said, I don't want that. I didn't want to marry a pastor. I wanted to marry an army ranger. And I said, I don't want that either, but I don't think you and I get a vote in this. If that's what he wants us to do next, we're going to do it whether you want it, I want it or not. So now how do we get paid to do it? Yeah. How do we get paid to do it? Yeah. Next question. And this is, this is a, this is a big question, but it's written in a very, in a way that could be very subjective. All right. Uh, so Jeff, you feel completely free to say whatever you want or Whatever you don't want to say. I'll probably say something stupid and you no, can correct me. No, I, I'm known for saying something stupid. I get in trouble all the time. But here we go. What are your thoughts, present tense, what are your thoughts on, on where our country is right now leadership-wise and in other areas uh, um, over this past year, what are some areas of our culture that are very concerning to you? Yeah. It's a leadership and then maybe some specific areas that are concerning. Um, I I said this yesterday, I have great hope for our country. I have great hope for the future of our country, and it's because of what I'm seeing in this room right now with Student Leadership University 201. You guys really impress me. I have great concerns for where we are right now, um, and I have said for a few years, I think it's dangerous for the men and women who are leading our country to have no real background in sacrifice and service for our freedom. There is a growing population of people that are now serving in legislation in the, on the courts that have some degree of some kind of service, and I'm not just talking about military service, but they have genuinely sacrificed for this country, and now they're stepping into roles of leadership, and I think that's a very good thing not just for America, but for every country, that somebody has proven their love and their commitment to the nation before they get a lot of power and authority to make some decisions. Am I concerned about where we are right now? Yes, highly concerned about the morality of our nation. 
And Brent, I'll just tell you, if you look back over America's history, the greatest moral shifts in our country always happened immediately after huge military endeavors, 1969 and following, 1960, uh, 1947 and following, 1920s and following. I mean, I, I think we're right in the middle of that right now. And I'm not exactly sure what America looks like 20 years from now, but I believe that it's you in this room that are going to have to take the wheel and hold on tight and keep this ship from crashing into the rocks. So just my thoughts on where we are right now and the future of our country. The word that comes to mind for me is very concerned. Very concerned. But not hysterical. We have far too many people who are hysterical about how things are. And sadly, that probably speaks to one's view of God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you have a shallow view of God, you get very hysterical when things don't make sense. Your view of God, I had the chance, uh, I think I shared briefly maybe at one-on-one to get to know Dr. Bill Bright before he passed mm -hmm. away. And one of the things that Dr. Bright shared with me was that your view of, and he wasn't the only one to say this, I think Tozer wrote it somewhere too, but your view of God determines everything about you. And if you wrote that down, give Dr. Bright credit. Your view of God, my view of God determines everything about me. And so, so yes, there is cause for great concern, but there is never cause for hysteria when we serve yeah. a sovereign God. Right. And there's a little bit of hysteria going on. And what are some of those specific issues? I think sexuality becoming very fluid is a big red flag because sexuality tears at the fabric of the family. The fabric of the, fa the family is one of the, the core foundational ideas that God built society mm -hmm. upon. And so if you were to go across the board, now I'm not, listen, I'm not the guy that's going to go, we need to go chase down everybody who's not living the right way and shout in their face or beat them up or do any of that silliness. No, I think, I think that God has called us to be a missionary. We, we don't have an enemy field. We have a mission field. And I think that when you see it that way, you can see it that way if you have a healthy view of God, that God is the sovereign Lord. And we don't have to, where the whole earth is the Lord's and its mm -hmm. fullness thereof. No cause for hysteria, cause for concern that leads to real engagement. Next question <laughs> has to do with fear. Uh-oh. Uh, so we're going from concern to hysteria. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So um, no, but w what is a thing that you, Jeff, fear as a leader in your past? And how did you overcome that fear? Yeah, my fears are a little bit, uh, they're precise. My greatest fear is bringing discredit or dishonor to my king. Mm. Um, and any moment I know how dark my own soul is. So I know that at any moment I have the propensity to do something really stupid that will stain the cause of Christ. And I don't care what anybody says about Jeff's name after I'm dead and gone. I want to spend the rest of my life making Jesus famous. So I walk around with this healthy fear that I will say something, do something, um, make a mistake that will bring discredit or dishonor to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that fear is good. 
In fact, if you were to ask the second smartest man that ever walked on planet Earth, a guy by the name of Solomon, he would tell you that that is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when I say this fear, it's a healthy respect. It's a reverence for who he is and my responsibilities to make him known. So without a doubt, I walk around with this persistent fear that I will do something or say something stupid and it will bring discredit to Christ. And that fear may be the very thing that's preventing me from doing it, but I also know that it'll happen tonight or tomorrow if I ever let go of that fear. Mm. So I try to live in that fear. Now I have other fears, but that's the one that I try to live in and get comfortable with. That's a good word, Jeff. So that's the healthy fear, right? That's the reverence fear, and it is the beginning of wisdom. The unhealthy fear is what Paul was writing about in 2 Timothy when he said, for the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power and of love and of sound mind. So he's actually giving us a recipe to overcome a spirit of fear. It's the power of God. It's the love of God. It's the wisdom of God. And so um, fear happens when we are afraid typically that we are going to lose something. I, I, I read and I, forgive me for not being able to quote this guy directly, but I read where fear uh, is always attached to what I could lose. So at the core, there's something. I'm afraid I'm going to lose something. Something's going to be taken away from me. That's what causes fear. Now, the second half of this question is, what's an example and how did you overcome it? I'm going to give you a second to think of an sure. example. I, uh, um, um, I was a youth pastor right out of college. And I stayed at that church for two years, and then the, and I was the chairman of the deacons told me uh, in a in a, a profanity laden tirade one night because he was so mad at me uh, that I was the worst youth pastor they ever hired, and then he hung up on me. Now, to his credit, he might have been right, <laughs> but those words stayed with me for about ten or fifteen years, and I really was afraid to lead because. I was allowing a voice to echo in my mind that I should never have allowed to be in my mind. So what I've discovered is the more reverence I have for God, the less fear I have that is unhealthy. Yeah, so. yeah um, if we can camp on this for just a second, I think a lot of people view the opposite of fear as courage. And as Brent was saying just a second ago, that's not necessarily how the word fear works in the English language. Fear is always attached, attached to losing something. It's actually attached to the unknown. What if X happens next? Or what if Y happens? I'm not sure how things are going to turn out. So I start to get afraid of doing something, saying something, or even going down this road because I don't know there's the unknown. I don't know how things are going to turn out. If that's the essence of fear, then the opposite of fear would not be courage. It would be faith. It would be saying, I don't know how things are going to turn out, but I do know the one who holds the future, my future in the palm of his hand. I know that he's leading me down this road, and I don't know how things are going to turn out, but I know that he's big enough that he can handle the circumstances. I know that he, he loves me enough, Romans 8, that he will make things turn out the way that they're supposed to for his glory and for my good. 
So I'm just going to choose, and I really believe that it is a deliberate, conscious choice. I'm just going to choose not to dwell on the what-ifs. I'm just going to take a step into the unknown, and I'm going to trust that he's going to meet me there. I'm going to take the next step into the unknown, and I'm going to trust that he's going to meet me there. And pretty soon, I'm way down the road into the unknown, and things are not nearly as bad as I thought they might be. And so I really want you to consider this. The opposite of fear is not courage. It's actually faith. And when you have faith in one that is big enough to hold the universe and you in the palm of his hands, what do you really have to be afraid of in the first place? Man, I got off on a roll and I totally forgot what the second half of that question was. was just a, I don't okay. think you should stop. I, amen and amen. But it was a real life example. All right. But you don't have to give one if you don't want. That was... Uh, a real life example of it. So I was almost finished with a seminary education. I was on staff at a church and I started having an opportunity to preach to larger audiences. And I got really, really freaked out by this. And there was a moment that I almost left the ministry because this was so intimidating to me. I was sitting there thinking to myself, the eternal uh, destiny of the souls of the men and women that are in this audience are in front of me. Who on earth is worthy of that kind of responsibility? And I had this, I had to wrestle with God like, God, I don't think I want to do this. God, this is way too much responsibility. And he had to basically slap me down in my place. Jeff, who do you think you are? You're not the one that changes people's souls. I do that. I just happen to do that through human vessels, and all I'm asking you to do is to just hang on and hang on for the ride and follow me, and I'll take care of what happens next. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, God, if you can take care of the human soul and their eternal destiny, I'll just stand up and try to be faithful every time I, you know, I'm standing before your people. So, Man, that moment was so intense and so intimidating that I almost decided, you got the wrong guy, God. I'm going back to killing bad guys in the Army as a ranger. <laughs> That's far easier than standing before your people in a pulpit. Yeah, there's so many jokes I could make right now, but I'm just going to move right along. Um, um, the next question has to do, Jeff, with, with motivation. Uh, and I'll, I'll give it to you exactly the way the student worded it, but... What fuels your passion to keep serving God, uh, even if you have to go through a difficult, strenuous uh, situation? So even in a season of difficulty, so in the good times and in the bad, what fuels, what motivates? Yeah, um, I'd love to hear from you first, and then I'll give you kind of my very short answer from okay. this one. Okay, yes, sir, yes, sir. Um, I want you to write down a definition of motivation, students. Uh, this definition comes from Victor Hugo. Uh, I mentioned it in the Shark Tank at SOU 101, but I also realized that session happens at 7.15 in the morning, and so that's why I'm re-mentioning it <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, because right? everybody slept through yeah, that everybody's one. taken so many notes at that session. Um, but Victor Hugo, in his book that would become the play Les Mis, defines uh, motivation this way or what fuels a person this way. It is called invisible labor, just those two words, invisible labor labor. You can't see it. You can't measure it. You can't look at it under a microscope. You can't hold it. it it's invisible. It's that inner why. It's the cause that, that drives us. So you better have some healthy motivations in your life. You better have some, some, some core ideals 
that motivate you. And I'll, I'll just give you, I'll give you three for me. Uh, number one, I want to I be motivated first and foremost by the fact that I have been set apart to the gospel of God. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, not, if I'm not supremely motivated by the love of Jesus, then every other motivation becomes very unhealthy. So, that first, so first things first. Number two, I, I am motivated by consequences. I believe that hell is real. And I believe that people who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. And so I want to exhaust myself. I want to do everything that I can to share the good news of Jesus with as many people as humanly possible. Yes, trusting God to do it only he can do, but I believe our job is to do everything we can do and trust God to do it only he can do. And so, so I'm motivated in some way by the, the realities of, of there are consequences to this mission as well. And then thirdly, and this may be selfish of me to say it this, but I'm motivated by my kids and my family. I, I want to get to the end of my journey. I have six children. Uh, that's as much of a prayer request as it is yeah. information. But uh, um, I have six kids, and, and the reality is I want one day them to look at my life and go, man, I want to I follow Jesus the way Dad followed Jesus. I want to love my spouse the way Dad loved Mom. I, I want to grow old the way he grew, grew old. I mean, like, I... I want to be an example for my children. That's a motivation for me. So you got to be able to identify some of those motivating factors and then let them work in your life. Yeah, um, I feel the exact same way. I want to live my life in such a way that what people say long after I'm gone is still making an influence for Jesus. Um, But I hope that you didn't miss how important, how powerful uh, that statement that Brent gave you a few minutes ago about learning to say no and learning to say no well. Um, Because I think you're gonna have a million opportunities in front of you and many of those, most of those opportunities, if we're honest, are really good opportunities. They're just not the best opportunity. So really what I would hope would motivate you is one thing, one single uniting passion. Everything else is kind of secondary to that one thing. And you get up every morning and you have the intense pleasure of knowing I am doing what God wants me to do and I'm knocking it out of the park right now, which means I believe when I stand before the king of the universe, I'm going to hear the ultimate reward of the faith. Well done, good and faithful servant. So now I'll tell you about me. And I'm a bit ashamed to say this out loud For a while, I was a committed Christian, but not really very open about it in the military. And uh, I got convicted, strongly convicted, after a buddy of mine who was an absolute total pagan, went home for Christmas vacation and came back radically changed. Mm. And like the next day started doing more, saying more, making more of an impact for Jesus in one day than I had made in months. And I started looking at the scriptures and I started looking at my life and I had to have this raw, honest moment with God of saying, God, what I'm reading in the Bible, I'm not seeing in my life and I'm wrong and I need you to change it. I'm looking at this passage where Moses says, God, I would give up my place in eternity 
for these stiff-necked, rebellious people. If you would allow me, I will take their place in hell, is literally what he's saying, if you will rescue these people. I looked at the Apostle Paul who said, I would become accursed, literally. I would give up eternity for my brothers in the faith, for my brothers, uh, the Jewish people, if that would change their life. And I started looking at my heart and saying, I, I don't have that kind of heart. What's wrong with me? And that was the moment that I think God started to, like Brent said, put a real uh, a weight of eternity on my soul. It, and I started wrestling with the question, Jeff, do you really believe that hell is real? Do you really believe that eternity lasts forever? If you do, why are you wasting your time doing all of these other things when you could be making a difference that lasts for eternity? And for me, that's all of the motivation that I need now. Mm. Wow. Good stuff. Next question um, has to do with, with this generation, Jeff, and... and and we've, we've got, we got many questions like this. So this is kind of a summary of right. several questions coming in together. But what do you believe is the hardest uh, thing or obstacle uh, that is keeping this generation from walking with God consistently? All right, I'll just say it out loud. There's a lot of amazing leaders and parents in this room. But probably one of the things that is most challenging for you in this room is some of the really poor examples of loving Jesus and following Jesus that you've seen in leaders and maybe even in your home. Um, for some of you, you're doing your best to love Jesus, but you don't have a father or a mother that seems to care at all. They seem to be only concerned about themselves or a career or a paycheck or something else like that. And it's going to be really, really hard for you to figure out what it looks like to love Jesus and to serve Jesus if you're not seeing that consistently in the home. If you have that kind of home, you need to fall on your knees tonight at your hotel bed and thank God for it. Amen. Because that's just not what most Christians today have as an example in their home. I also believe even if that's the kind of home that you find yourself in right now, you can love Jesus, follow Jesus, and serve him. And you can be a leader in your home one day that does live like Brent so that his children will say, I want to love Jesus like my daddy. I want to love my spouse like my daddy. I want to live uh, my faith like my daddy. I think that may be the single greatest challenge that this generation following Jesus has to overcome. And it's the apathy or the complacency, or let's just face it, the worldliness of some of the adults that are in their life. Mm. Wow. I'm just going to go on to the next question. When you can't add to something, just keep going, right? Amen? All right. So uh, I'm going to ask this question out of pure selfishness. I cherry-picked this question. Uh-oh. And so... Uh, this feels like an ambush. I won't point I you know out. when I'm about to walk into an ambush. Here we go. <laughs> There's like four people that ask this question. And you're an introvert, and I'm an introvert. You know who you are. And because you're an introvert, if I pointed you out, you'd probably want to fight me afterwards. But... In what ways do you think an introvert leader 
could do to grow in their leadership skills? I'm, I'm ready for the answer, yes. Jeff, because us introverts need right. a lot of help. So here's the secret. I am extremely introverted myself, and you may never know that by coming to a book table or out there snapping a photo with me. I have had to work hard to be friendly and approachable when I'm in a room like this, but I will go back thoroughly exhausted after this and need about 20 hours by myself <laughs> to recover for the two hours that I spent with you. I think introverts get a bad rap in the church. I think most people feel like, oh, there's something wrong with you and you're broken because you're an introvert. You should be like that gal who's bubbly and always smiling and wants to be around people. You should be like that guy who's the life of the party. And I think God has used introverts to build his kingdom just as much as extroverts. So my advice to you is stop trying to be somebody that you're not. Mm -hmm. If he has created you and built you and and basically knitted you together in your mother's womb, and you are naturally an introvert, then go do it. Go be it. Just remember that when you're in a room, it's going to take a lot out of you. But by the way, for all of you extroverts in this room, you really struggle to sit down and to get a paper done, or you really struggle to sit down and read a book when there's nobody in the room because you're stressed out. You want to have a conversation with people. So it it is what it is, and, and don't try to be the other person, man. Just go out and be the person that God has wired you to be and be the best example of that the planet has ever seen. Just go do that. Well, you know, as an introvert myself, I uh, have a disdain for extroverts, just thorough, thorough disdain, because you just all think you're better than the rest of yes. us, and that's, that's, that's okay. But you know why that's okay? Because we're very happy alone. That's right. You know? and so, <laughs> when we get alone, we will talk bad about you extroverts. <laughs> and so um, my wife is an extrovert. And so whenever we go somewhere and it's time to leave, I think that means we're going to get in the car and leave. That just means her goodbye tour is about to begin. <laughs> that's, all that that, that's all that's happening at that point because she has to say and touch and see everybody before we get out of the room and I want to be in the car, right? I want to be away. And so I will say this on a very practical level. Listen to me, introvert, seriously. You never allow your, your, your tendencies, whether it be extroverted or introverted, to become excuses. Yeah. Please That's get good that advice. down. You never allow those tendencies to become excuses. And here's what I mean by that. For me as an introvert, I know this is going to sound weird, it's hard for me to make eye contact with people. It really is. I still, even after 20 some odd years of doing this, will at times go through, the, remind my brain of the mechanics of when I shake somebody's hand, I'm going to look them in the eye, and, I'm, and I've always got three or four questions in my back pocket to stimulate conversation. Um, because I have to discipline myself to overcome that tendency because I can't allow that tendency to become an excuse. Does that make sense? And so don't let tendencies yeah. become excuses. Yeah. I, I want to ask one last, uh, uh, one last question, and it's an open-ended question. Okay. Um, and it is a question about advice, Jeff, uh, because everybody's always asking for advice and wisdom. Every time we do a Q&A with anyone, and this is one of the things I, I love, it always, to me, it shows that there's a room full of people who want to grow in wisdom. Yeah. And so what, what wise counsel 
would you just simply give an emerging leader, if you could just pull from your repertoire of some of the best advice you've ever received on a very practical level, what practical advice would you say, this is a nugget of wisdom that I hope you take with you forevermore? Yeah, um, I want to echo, I'll give you an answer in just a second, but I want to echo what Brent said. I was talking to a few of the leaders last night um, after I had to recover from yesterday's session for a couple of hours. And I said, some of the questions that you asked yesterday really, really impressed me because of how hard and how thoughtful those questions are. And when I get hard questions, I consider it a gift Mm. because it says you're really thinking, you're really serious about growing. So here's my one piece of advice. There's actually a couple of pieces of advice that I can give you. Leaders never stop learning. You never get to the point. It doesn't matter if you are the leader of the free world, if you're a captain of industry one day, if you stop learning, then you need to hand the reins to leadership off to somebody else. But here's the single piece of advice that I think I would have wanted to know when uh, I was sitting in your shoes right now. Go out and find the leader that you want to be one day and then ask them to mentor you. I wish somebody would have, the, the U.S. Army has kind of a semi-formal mentoring program and, and there's a lot of it that happens every day, but I wish somebody would have told me, Jeff, if you really want to be this kind of leader one day, this kind of guy, this kind of gal, and I'm not talking about specific industry or a specific vocation, just if you want to be this kind of person one day, this kind of husband, then go out and find that kind of husband. You want to be this kind of father one day, go out and find that kind of father. You want to be this kind of leader one day, go find that leader. And by the way, they're out there. And then just ask them, would you be willing to pour into me a little bit? Would you be willing to mentor me? And you don't even have to say these words out loud because I think I'm going to model my life after you and learn what you learned along the way and maybe not have to make the mistakes that you made along the way. If I could give you one piece of advice, be extremely selective about who that person is. Mm -hmm. But go find that person and go look at them and ask them, would you pour into me a little bit? Because I think I'd like to be a leader like you are one day. Mm -hmm. When I was a teenager, I used to work on a lumber yard which was very irresponsible of my parents to allow me to do so. Around power tools. Uh, around That's power dangerous. tools. And basically everybody on the yard was on work release. And, and then there was <laughs> that, and then there was the pastor's kid. And so uh, fit right in. And, uh, um, and so uh, the yard foreman would walk out every day, Jeff, and he would say the same thing every morning before he gave us our jobs. It's going to sound very crude, but it's it stuck with me all these but years. But it is a lumber yard. He'd look at all of the ex-cons and me. Future ex-con. Future ex-con. <laughs> true story. Future ex. Future ex. Uh, and he'd go, you're all stupid. <laughs> and you're all one step away from stupid. And if you take that step today, I'll fire you. And I just have always carried that with me. I, I just think... That's great <laughs> advice. Don't take that step. At any given moment. I think that's what Paul was getting at when he said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. He said it towards yeah, the end yeah. of his life. The closer you get to the light of Jesus, the more dirt you see on yourself. And the more you realize you're just one step away from yeah. stupid at any given moment. That's John Wayne, the brilliant <laughs> theologian, who said, listen, let's just face it. Life is hard. 
but it's a lot harder if you're stupid. So don't be stupid. <laughs> well, Jeff, one of the things, buddy, one of the projects you've started in the last couple of years is an incredible podcast. Would you tell us the title of that podcast and, and really kind of the, what's the, what is the heart of that? What is your yeah. goal with um, that? So I need to compliment Brent. Brent, you are the only person that I've asked to be on a second episode of the podcast. <laughs> There's been two guys that I tried to get their whole story in one episode and I couldn't do it, so we did multiple episodes. You're the first and only guy that I've asked to be back. Brent did an episode. The podcast is called Unbeatable. And here's the reason for that name. I am convinced everybody is gonna be punched in the face by circumstances in life from time or time. And the truth is what happens after you're punched in the face by circumstances of life will define you and make all of the difference. So I wanna help people after they get knocked down by life to get back up, dust themselves off, and demonstrate to themselves and to the world that they are unbeatable. That's why it's called unbeatable. And if you're interested, I invite you to join what I call the unbeatable army, literally unbeatablearmy.com if you want to know more. And it's on any platform. Yeah, virtually right? video and audio on all of the platforms. Now, here's the so. deal. No, most of the time, no one say this. And if for some reason your group leader's already taken up your phone, then may the Lord bless and keep them. But... If you have your phone, feel free. I don't mind if you take it out right now and go to your favorite platform and go ahead and subscribe right now to the Unbeatable Podcast with Jeff Struve. Yeah, you can subscribe on YouTube if you want to watch the video, and it's on all of the audio platforms, and so, too. One of the things we thought would be helpful, you know, Dr. J likes to quote an old Irish proverb that says, the best thing you can do for your friends is introduce your fr them to your friends. And so one of the things we wanted to do with this conversation is to record it and to use it as, an, as, a, as a helpful conversation for however many listeners you have and however many listeners we have on the Chasing Elephants podcast. So if you're not subscribed to the Chasing Elephants podcast that Jeff and I host every week, um, then I'd like you to subscribe to that as well. But here's the deal. We're going to take this conversation, and this is going to become an episode of both Chasing Elephants and Unbeatable. Uh, and so I think the you're going to drop this. Yeah, this will drop this week on Thursday night on YouTube and Friday morning on all of the audio platforms. But I just want to tell the whole Unbeatable Army, if you're looking for another podcast to follow, go follow or uh, subscribe to Chasing Elephants. Thank you. I realize that you heard some pretty incredible questions during this live interview with some of America's greatest leaders. If you are watching this episode, I am recording this from a conference center in Washington, D.C. with leaders from all across the United States. And I hope that there was something that you heard today that will really inspire you, really encourage you. If you heard something and you've got more questions, well, why don't you feel free to reach out to me? You can ask me a question on social media if you would just search for at Unbeatable Podcast and go ahead and put your question right there in the instant message, direct messaging of your favorite social media platform. As I said, if you're looking for another podcast to follow, I really think you guys ought to check out the Chasing Elephants podcast, which is this joint interview that I did today with my buddy Brent. And I want to thank you. Thank you, as always, for staying connected. Thank you, as always, for subscribing on your favorite podcast or YouTube 
thank you for being part of the Unbeatable Army. You really are some amazing guys and gals. And I just want to single out one of you today. I'm talking about Troy Martin. Troy, you're incredible. You're so incredible that you are our fan of the week this week. Thank you, Troy, for staying connected with us throughout the week as part of the Unbeatable Army. And for the rest of you out there, if you're not already part of the Unbeatable Army, it's totally free. Just simply go over to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for being part of this episode. And I'll go back to regular guests and regular content next week. So check us out next week. See you next time. 